Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Performances by drag queens go back at least a century, and a reality TV drag show competition was popular primetime entertainment for more than a dozen years. But conservative lawmakers are pushing back on over-the-top performances, and Native entertainers are getting caught up in the debate. Supporters of the law say they're protecting children, but critics say they're nothing more than political theater. We'll hear from Native performers and others about the new legal landscape right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. It's approaching the end of graduation season, and for many Native students, being able to wear traditional regalia or items is important as they graduate. This year in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, a graduate wanted to do just that, but she says educational staff took her cultural item and damaged it. Now the student is pressing charges. Hannah Bissett has more. For Lene Black, her graduation at Broken Arrow High School was something she was anticipating with her eagle plume attached to her cap where a tassel would be. On the day, Black says she saw several staff who had no issues until one teacher stopped her. Black says the teacher told her she needed to remove the eagle plume. And when Black explained, the teacher allegedly started to yell and attempted to pull it off her cap. At that point, Lene actually ended up sort of falling or collapsing to the ground. Um, because everything was pinned to her her cap and then her cap was pinned to her hair, she actually ended up being the one to, to take the cap off in an attempt to protect the plume. That was one of the people on Black's legal team, Morgan Sanders. Sanders works for the Native American Rights Fund, who is in partnership with Pipe Steam Law. The lawsuit brings a claim on the conduct towards Lene and her First Amendment rights. In Oklahoma, a recent law was vetoed by the governor, that would have prohibited discriminatory graduation dress codes and make the language loose for all students who have different cultural backgrounds. The right to decorate one's cap and gown with their cultural items is one that has been tested in recent years, not only in Oklahoma, but across the country. According to NARF, 11 states have laws explicitly stating the rights of cultural items at graduation. Sanders says that if the lawsuit goes to trial, the proceeds could continue within the next year. The Broken Arrow School District did not respond by deadline for comment about the lawsuit. I'm Hannah Bissett. Indigenous women were featured on MSNBC Sunday night. Alyssa London, Clinkett, an MSNBC contributor, hosted the one-hour special. She's a former Miss Alaska USA and is hosting a four-part series called The Culture Is, highlighting women from Black, Latina, Asian, and Pacific Islander, as well as Indigenous cultures. The Culture Is, Indigenous Women, features a roundtable with seven women. London guides the conversation, an experience, she says, is hard hard to describe. Pretty surreal sitting there with the seven trailblazing indigenous women who it is difficult to even get one of them in the room. I just felt respect for the position I was in and a desire to do a good job and also a lot of just trying to be present and appreciate each of those moments. Some of the topics on Sunday's program included boarding schools, missing and murdered indigenous women, and native identity and stereotypes. The show is now streaming on Peacock.
The El Pueblo Council of Governors, which represents 19 pueblos in New Mexico, is celebrating the Department of Interior's decision to protect a sacred landscape in the state. On Friday, Secretary Deb Holland took action to protect cultural and historic resources surrounding Chaco Culture National Historical Park from new oil and gas leasing and mining claims. The new order withdraws public lands within a 10-mile radius of the park for 20 years. The Interior Department says the action included significant consultation from tribes. All Pueblo Council of Governors Chairman Mark Mitchell called the action a resounding triumph for their communities, sacred lands, and future generations. The withdrawal applies only to public lands and federal mineral estate and does not apply to minerals owned by private, state, or tribal entities. Navajo Nation allottees can continue to lease their minerals. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium, presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Registration closes June 23rd at tribalselfgov.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. This year's LGBTQ Pride Month is on a collision course with anti-drag show legislation in at least a dozen states. Places like Oklahoma, Kentucky, and Nebraska are pushing laws to ban drag performances in public spaces and places where children are present. In Arizona, someone who appears in drag in front of a minor risks up to 10 years in prison and being labeled a sex offender. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem wants to tie state funding for colleges with a ban on campus drag shows. In this hour, we'll talk with Indigenous drag performers about their craft and the implications of the new laws. Please share your thoughts and comments. Are drag performances simply entertainment, or are they a threat to underage people where you live? Tell us what you think at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from New Mexico is Lady Shug. She's a drag artist and community activist. She's Dene. Lady Shug, welcome back to Native America Calling. Yes, thank you for having me. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, relatives. Good morning to you as well, Lady Shug. Joining us from the state of Montana is Adria Jawart. She's a transgender two-spirit journalist and a political director for Indigenous Vote Montana. She is Northern Cheyenne. Adria, welcome back to Native America Calling as well. Hello. Um, it's actually I'm starting a new nonprofit called Indigenous Transilience. So, but yeah, I was <laughs> okay. director for them too. So. All right. Thank you for that clarification. Appreciate it. And joining us in our studio in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is Tomahawk Martini. 
Tomahawk is the current Drag Mother of the Year at the Albuquerque Social Club and former Miss New Mexico Pride 2022. She is Cheyenne River Sioux and Navajo with a dash of Mexican. Tomahawk, welcome to the show. Oh, yeah. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Great to have all of you. And we actually have a fourth guest who we just got on the line, so I'd like to introduce her as well. Joining us from Norma, Oklahoma, is Auntie Sage Chanel. She's a drag performer and former Miss International Two-Spirit. She is Shawnee, Ponca, Oto, and Lakota Sioux. Sage, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're glad you're able to make it. We've got four folks on the show today, and I'd like to go ahead and start off with Lady Suge, who is in New Mexico. And and Lady Suge, you heard the intro to the show, these new laws coming down the pipe in a number of different states. What's your initial reaction when you hear about states pushing to ban what you do, drag performing? Um, You know, to be honest, it's... (sighs) It's scary. Some of us, this is our livelihood. Um, so it affects us dearly. And um, I'm currently on the road traveling um, in my own uh, indigenous tour that I'm doing all over the U.S. And to go into these spaces already um, not being accepted by most people and even sometimes our own communities, it's very scary Scary and um, disheartening that, you know, there are going to be bans against a craft that we use to um, exist and we use for resistance and we use for um, our artistry and to display who we are as people um, through the art form of drag. How far do you so think this will will go, Lady Suge? I mean, do you think it'll reach all the way to the Supreme Court eventually? I mean, we can't, I, I want to say no, but in this climax, you can't, uh, in this climate, you can't, um, you can't hold it nothing against. I mean, it may. I hope it doesn't. But like I kind of mentioned earlier, drag is a is a form of resistance, even just existing or even just putting on the drag attire of a wig or a heel um, is power. Um, so I know in the forefronts we will have and try to continue to have existence in these spaces um and also just to have our voices heard Mm -hmm. i'd like to to bring auntie sage chanel into the conversation as well and auntie sage i want to ask you i mean what do you think is behind these bands um just ignorance here in oklahoma there is a lot of hate that is driven with these bills right now and even with our governor here he claims to be Cherokee, but since he's not gotten his way, he has thrown out every bill. He has vetoed every bill that has anything to do with Native Americans at the the moment right now. And it's just a lot of ignorance, a lot of hate that is driven by money, oil, everything right now. And only thing right now, I work in a college town in Oklahoma, here in Norman, Oklahoma, and um, these bills they are they they are only here to be um, by county by county, and so our own uh, police that uh, protect us they told us too they stand behind us and they said um, they stand with us they said that well, if this law does go into effect they're gonna uh, stand by us and they're not gonna let it 
our county, our people, because we do uh, work with our police and our um, our our um, law local, enforcers, local law and enforcement. So they okay. all, yes, and so they all like we all stand together. We all work together. It's by county by county, but the next county over, they are like really enforcing it because it's going to be a twenty thousand dollar fine if this does pass. If there is a drag performer out in public, just in public, you will go to jail and have a twenty thousand dollar fine, and you can serve up to five years. So it's it's scary. Like I, I'm I'm scared to what if this does go into effect. I don't know what that's going to look like in the next year or so. And us traveling, me and Lady Shook, we do travel everywhere. And I, I honestly don't know what it's going to look like in the next year. Auntie Sage, you're referring to these two bills that were just introduced in the state of Oklahoma that would ban public drag performances. What do you know about these bills specifically? I mean, how do they actually go about banning drag like what's the what is the word the terminology that they're using to to create these laws or tr try to create these laws it's uh anything in public with children and um also with the um story hour the children's story hour they're trying to ban that altogether. and if it, if you are caught in public in a public space um, that is not a bar, a private bar, private owned. Like, cause if you are in a club or a bar, then it is allowed. But if you are in like a public space, like a library or at a college or anything, then you will get fined. And okay. So it's, and do they use the term drag performance in in the legalese, or is it adult performance? Have you read that closely? I'm curious. Um, I have not read it closely. What I have heard is, to me, they have tried to use everything to where they cover their their butts, to where it's everything's out outlawed. So, okay, uh, Sage. I mean, some people would say that this is a free speech issue. Do you feel that way? Are, are your constitutional rights being violated with regard to free speech? Us here in the Bible. <laughs> and we live in a crazy world all together here. It's, it's always been this way. It's never been anything uh, of the norm. So to me, it's a it's a culture. It's not a free, free speech thing. It's ignorance, and it's people that don't know or want to learn how to be. I don't even know what to say. I just. That we've always been in the Bible Belt. That's all. The only thing we can say is we live in the Bible Belt, and the ignorance here is. And okay, all right. I'm going to go ahead and go back to to Lady Suge and uh, Sage. We've got a little bit of an audio issue, so I'd like to go back to Lady Suge and Lady Suge. I mean, I, I mean, so people that support these bans and and they they're saying that they're protecting children from exposure to obscene or sexually explicit content. So I'd, I'd really like you to explain for folks that have maybe never been to a, a, a drag performance before. I mean, what, to, what do they look like? What, what, do they, what actually happens? And um, how in any way could a person interpret these, these things as being 
sexually suggestive or harmful for kids. Could you just give us some background on like what to expect from a typical drag show? Yeah, um, well, you know, let's be honest. Drag is is for everybody. There are some shows that might be more on the adult side, um, and there are some that are drag drag queen or drag drag friendly for kids and all all ages. It just depends on the artist that you're talking to. Me for myself, um, I work for a nonprofit called Drag Story Hour, and it's where we read books to um, children and young adults sometimes in public libraries, sometimes at Prides, sometimes virtually. And so drag is an art form, but it's also an expression. Everybody does it in some weird way. Even what you picked out to wear today is the art form of drag. That you're, what you're presenting today to walk out your door. And even a doctor, a doctor puts on a lab coat or et cetera. Any, a police officer puts on their uniform. That's an art form of drag. So everybody does it. Um, what these bills are doing are putting the children, labeling us drag artists as um, uh, as it's bad. I mean, a lot of it has to do with religion or political stance, and we're not. We're we're everyday people. But um, kind of how relative Sage was talking about, um, we had to fight for our existence. For a very long time, even just being indigenous and then now being indigenous and queer or trans or two spirits and be a drag artist, we're fighting for our spots and we're continuing to hold space um, in our through the art form of drag. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Lady Suge and our other guests. Stay with us. There's evidence that women make more prudent financial decisions than men do. And while the number of women in the financial industry is growing, they're outnumbered by men, especially at the top. We'll look at what Native women bring to the finance field and hear about efforts to increase participation by Native women. That's on the next Native America Calling. Thank for tuning in to Native America Calling. Drag queen performances include heavy makeup, flashy clothes, and show tunes, among other things. June is LGBTQ and Two-Spirit Pride Month, and there is momentum in several states to restrict drag performances. What do you think about that? If you've been to a drag show, tell us about your experience. You can call us 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. We have... Lady Shug on the line. She's in New Mexico. And Lady Shug, you mentioned before break your library story hour. Uh, tell us more about that. I mean, is it in any way designed to to get people to react? Is it provocative in that way? No, it's not. It's basically reading uh, books to children and young adults. Um, it's our, our way to be a princess or a prince 
and to show children that they can be who they want to be. They can express themselves in any kind of way. It may be through drag, it may not, um, even just to hold space as a very glitzy, glamorous, um, feminine entity to a children is it speaks wonders. I mean, if I was going to a drag queen story hour event, it would have changed my life. Um, what's, but yeah, what's the it's feedback? Not to be, I mean, it's, you you do have always have one sour apple <laughs> in <laughs> okay. the bunch. So I ain't gonna lie about that. I mean, there's always somebody gonna have an issue with some kind of form. But I commend parents and aunties and uncles that take their children to these events and expose them. Um, and the kid, the kids, because it's all about the kids, right? Supposedly everybody's so concerned mm-hmm. about the kids. So I want to ask you, what's their reaction? How do they like it? Amazing. I mean, sometimes you know, being so young and vulnerable, especially my indigenous youth and young kids, um, we're always deemed to be very t- uh, shy and timid. Because I was, um, so you'll see them kind of evolve through, you know, events like that, like drag, drag story hour, of them changing their ways. They're more um, into participating. Their guard kind of lets down, um, and they become authentically themselves within the hour. So it's it's a beautiful thing for somebody to see, especially young folk, to change their their views. Um, so it, it's, it's, I mean, you have to go to one to kind of experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's made for everybody. I mean, who does not like to be read a, a child's book story? <laughs> I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have some, um, some books that you remember as a young kid. We um, read a lot of children. I have a nine-year-old daughter, so we yeah. read tons of children's books in our house. Yeah, yeah. Lady Shook, thank you for providing those insights. I want to go back to Auntie Sage now. And Auntie Sage, earlier you talked about the current political climate there in Oklahoma. And I want to ask you, how long have you been a drag performer? Um, I've been in drag for 12-plus 12, 12 years. 12-plus years. Really so when, sure. Yeah. Okay. And in, all the, in those 12 years, I mean, would you say right now the political climate is the most anti, um, just the most anti with what you do during those 12 years, or has it always kind of been like this? What's your thought? It's kind of always been there, but at the moment, now that we are on target, it has been more scary. It is not safe. I don't feel safe at this this time. And what do you think is driving all of this uh, anti-drag show, anti transgender rhetoric and, and legalese? Just everything that's in the news right now, we are on the spotlight. Like even now, just even being on radio, being on TV, we are getting watched. I even had to be told that watch my social media because there's uh, hate groups that are following us trying to see where we are because they're trying to see if we're performing to kids perform where we're at and they're trying to shut down these places. So it, it's scary. Like uh, it's not a it's not fun right now. Well, it's interesting you, you mentioned that, the scary climate, because I know that travel advisories in Florida have been issued by some LGBTQ advocacy groups as a response to a new law that bans children from drag shows and other adult performances in that state. And the motivation is to outline the risks to the LGBTQ, you know, that community, the, the healthy, the health and safety specifically. And I mean, do you think something like that, um, would you support a, a travel advisory like that in your home state of Oklahoma? 
Always, always. Like, we want to make sure we have the most security. We want to make sure we are um, working hand-to-hand with the law enforcement. Um, it's, it's a need to at this time. Okay. I want to go uh, back to, to Tomahawk Martini, who is in our studio today in Albuquerque. In Tomahawk, you refer to yourself as a, a drag mother. Why is that? Um, so pretty much like I started drag about 13 years ago, um, and pretty much I was just doing drag. Um, I never signed up or never wanted to be like a drag mother. I never saw that for myself. Um, but just being out in public, inspiring young people that were like, I love your drag. I want to do what you do, or I want to look just like how you look. Um, just young people in the community coming up and then wanting to be a part of it. And then eventually I took on one child and now I have three. So it's pretty much just like teaching them drag, sharing the art with them. Um, we do a lot of traveling together. So it's pretty much just like a, like a house thing, pretty much. And what was it initially that drew you to drag, Tomahawk? I think I just wanted to see representation that I didn't see growing up. Um, I always told myself I want to be the role model I wish I had growing up. Um, and with drag just being a very creative person, I wanted to put the ideas and the you know the creativity in physical form, but to do it on myself. And so when I look at photography, um, fashion, makeup, um, like just modeling, like those are all the things that I love and, you know, just kind of put that on myself and carry it that way. And these bands that we're hearing about in so many states, uh, is that going to impact you? It's, uh, it's scary to think about. Um, I do, like I live in New Mexico, which is really one of the most safe states for the LGBT community, especially with our governor, um, you know, passing HB7 um, and a lot of other bills this past legislation session. So it feels safe to be here, but if that was taken away from me, it would be very frightening um, to think that you couldn't just be existing um, or it would be like a crime. So, Tomahawk, this is an issue that it can be polarizing, and then for a lot of folks, they just kind of look at it from the outside. They've maybe never been to a drag show. Maybe they don't interact very closely with the LGBTQ community, and they might think to themselves, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I don't live in Oklahoma, or I don't live in Florida. Why should they care about this? Why should they be concerned with these bans and so much of this anti-trans legislation that we're looking at these days? Um, I think everyone just needs to be aware to realize how limiting this, this like country is. It says freedom for all, um, but it's not for everyone. And I think just being alert and proactive to prevent this from actually traveling to other states. Um, and I think that's why it's very important for drag artists to make sure they're speaking on these things when they are doing their shows, when they are when they have a public platform to let people know that uh, drag is safe, um, drag is for everyone. It does come in, you know, at different levels, um, but that's just up for the drag artists, you know, to, how do you is, say, like, be aware of their surroundings, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And is drag a significant source of income for you, Tomahawk? Um, no, it's not. Um, I consider my drag more of a hobby, and um, 
I don't do it full time. I have another I have my main job, but like I said, it's just a hobby of mine. And when I want to be involved or if I have something to say or a message to get across, um, that's usually when I do drag. Okay, let me go back to Lady Shug. Lady Shug, did you say earlier that that drag is a significant part of your income? Yes, it is. And um, how? I mean, is it good money? Are Are you able to to pay all your bills and everything just from drag, or do you have to supplement that with another job? You are shady, shady. <laughs> You're trying to uh, disclose my income on the radio. Um, I will say <laughs> I cannot mention. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, it's a hustle, just like any other artist. Uh, other artists that are listening probably can understand. I mean, you have your good days, and sometimes you you put your money into your art that you love so much. Um, so I will leave it at that. Um, but I was just even <laughs> talking shady about, question. Kind of talking huh? about, yeah, <laughs> you were kind of also talking about it earlier. Like if these bills go into effect, these also really affect our trans community. Some of um, our relatives that identify or are trans. Um, this will affect them too in those some of those bills. Um, they might not necessarily do drag, and some do do drag, um, but this will affect our trans community tremendously and the safety for them. So Lady, Lady Shug, know too. <laughs> what about uh, what about the drag kings out there? I mean, are, is there a pretty substantial uh, population of, of indigenous drag kings that are also being impacted by all these laws we're talking about? We don't have any of them on the show today, unfortunately. Oh, right. I, I, and, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard because we have very few indigenous drag kings um, or artists. That's why I like to say artists, because some people don't like to be identified as a queen or a king. They just want to exist <laughs> in mm -hmm. drag and be indigenous. But, yeah, there's a, a very small amount of um, indigenous drag kings. They are out there, um, but it will affect the whole spectrum of drag, drag kings, drag, uh, drag queens. Um, bio queens and kings, our trans um, uh, showgirls and showboys. Um, it's going to affect everybody that does drag. I want to go back to our, our fourth guest now, Adria Jawart, uh, up in Montana, Northern Cheyenne. Now, Adria, you recently had a speaking event that was canceled. What happened? All right, I'm going to go back. Uh, it looks like we lost. Adria there, apologize for that, folks. And uh, Lady Shug, I, <laughs> you know, my shady question there, and, but you referred to it as a hustle, which I think is kind of interesting as well. But uh, how, how tight-knit is the overall indigenous drag community? I mean, we've got guests here today from the state of Oklahoma to in New Mexico, up in Montana. Do you folks, are, are you all familiar with each other? Do you network often? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, we have to come together because there's, there's not many of us, but there is many of us. <laughs> uh -huh. um, we've, I, I think all of us on the panel, we all work together. We all know of each other. We're all in the inner circle. So we all know who's the, the upcoming girls or who's new to the indigenous drag scene. There's not much of us. I think that's my biggest challenge. And I think my two other relatives that are on the line is our biggest challenge is to hold space because, you know, a lot of times this is Pride Month, and a lot of times us indigenous artists, drag artists, are never included, you know, in the main festivals, in um, Pride organizing. We're always forgotten. Um, 
and I always challenge my own people when they do these festivals or they do these tribal fairs to always include indigenous queerness, transness, two-spirit folks from your own community. Because um, that's the hardest thing I think the other two drag artists can agree on is just holding space in our own communities and also being just being included is, is hard. <laughs> it, it's a hustle. <laughs> I met, yeah, I, I, I met, yeah, for sure. I, I can only imagine. Phone number 1-800-996-2848. Listeners, if you, you want to chime in, if you have a question, if you're familiar with drag shows, if you've been to one before, tell us what you think. Did you enjoy it? What did you learn? What did you see? Phone lines are open. 1-800-996-2848. I want to go back to Tomahawk now, who's in studio. Tomahawk, do you remember your very first drag performance? Yes, I do, actually. Um, it was at a local venue here in Albuquerque. It's no longer open, uh, but the original Sidewinders location, 8900 Central. Um, yeah, so I do remember uh, doing my first drag performance there. And what was that like, that very first time? And from that time, how long did it take you to really to really find your, your place and really perfect your craft? Um, so when I first started drag, it was pretty much, I was just more like a social person. I wanted to go out, um, you know, put on the makeup, the heels, and just hang out and just be around people and, you know, go to a gay bar because I just turned 21. So I was like wanting to just be out and existing because it was you know, coming from the reservation to a big city. I was like, this is the best thing ever. Um, and so I did I did that style of drag for a couple of years, and then finally, I guess, got the encouragement from a friend to get up on stage and actually do a performance. And when I said yes, it was scary because I was like, I don't know what they're going to expect. Is everyone going to hate me? Am I just going to look like a fool on stage? Um, thank God that didn't happen. But, yeah, it's scary getting up on stage. Even to this day, I still get, you know, jitters and I get anxious before I step on any stage. Auntie Sage, how about you? Do you remember your first show? Yes, I was terrified. <laughs> um, my first drag show, uh, I think it was like the early 2000s, maybe like 2003. And the first drag queen I saw, I was terrified. I honestly, I think I was like, 14 or 15 and I just remember them being like very vulgar and I honestly I hated drag queens growing up and then how it came to be and how I became a show host I've tried to not make people awkward and I've tried to make my host be more family friendly so that's interesting originally you were kind of put off and um so it sounds like in some drag shows uh, it's a very different tone than what you're describing from your own shows very. I think it was a lot more explicit growing up. In children now, our family family friendly spaces, it's gotten more better. I feel. And in that time, because you're going back uh, about twenty years, I mean, how have you seen the native drag community change and evolve? Honestly, before there was really not growing up, I don't remember any native. Uh, drag performers and so in my time everybody has grown and a lot of people were scared too to come off the res or come from where their tribal spaces are they were ashamed to come out as gay um, I'm a part of the Central Oklahoma Two-Spirit Society well, to be a part of that um, it was hard it's like pulling 
pulling teeth because everybody's scared to be out and proud because they it is very rare for us to be in these spaces and gay gay pride and everything. And once we are, of course, they come and take pictures and they want to be a part of it. But it's a, it's a lot to take in, too, because a, a lot of the natives, they're, they're not used to that and they don't want to be out in the, the spotlight. It's not it's not been normal. So they don't know how to react. They don't know how to exist in these spaces. So over time, um, all we've been trying to teach everybody is to be visible, to be here, to be heard, and to be seen. And so over time, it's gotten a lot better. But it's it's still we're getting feedback from the elders, and they're saying, "Don't don't too much. Don't do too much. Don't make this." Uh, a bigger thing than it needs to be because they're still afraid of how we, how where we came from. June is LGBTQ Pride Month, and uh, we're talking with four people today who are very experienced as drag performers and also uh, interested. Uh, we've got a journalist on the show who we're going to talk to right after this next break who's going to talk to us a little bit more about uh, the experience. So if you've got a question or a comment, give us a call, one 800 99Native. Summer vacation time is here, and you're invited to get to know Albuquerque, New Mexico. Festival Flamenco Albuquerque brings flamenco artists from around the world, and for nine days, starting June 9th, the Pulse of Flamenco transforms Albuquerque into a cultural epicenter. This year's lineup includes Israel Galvan y Compañía, Daniel Doña Compañía de Danza, Tacha Gonzalez, and Jose Valencia y Salvador Gutierrez. The Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department supports this show. We're listening to Native America Calling. We're talking with indigenous drag queens today about the recent push by some states to ban drag performances in public places. Join the conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. And our phone lines are open, so you can get a comment right through. We'll put you on the air. Again, the number 1-800-996-2848. We'd really like some Listener input on our show today. Give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our fourth guest, Adria Jawart, is a journalist, fiction writer, and the director of a new nonprofit startup called Indigenous Transilience. And Adria, you recently had a speaking event that was canceled. Tell us what happened. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah, you sound great. Okay, <laughs> even though... I cringe at my own voice on the radio. But anyways, uh, yeah, it's almost exactly what we said would happen, which a lot of people that testified against bills, including me, was like one of the first things I said is these target, how do we know these bills aren't going to target trans people? And and then here I am, one of the first people targeted, because even like we look at the Florida laws, um, they'll selectively use them. That's why they're so broad ranging. Like, okay, the guy from Tool, um, James Maynard. This is, anyway, the lead singer, anyway, he dresses in drag, goes out and performs, and they're never, ever going to charge him. But that's because he's not LGBTQ. But for me, for this Montana law, it was like written so vaguely. It was just like, oh, someone who performs in uh, opposite gender attire, and they don't recognize trans people in Montana. So it's just like, and dresses um, glamorously. That was the word. So I just tweeted something about, oh, would I be targeted for giving the speech about a historical speech about two-spirit people? And it is a book I'm quoting from, What Happens as a Child is Present. You know, and it was just kind of a facetious 
tweet mocking the bill, but then these neo-Nazis who had actually been protesting this drag queen story hour, there was like 20 of them outside, like two weeks before that, they all made complaints and stuff to this library and stuff, and then the county attorney shut down the event like the day before I was supposed to go to like Butte, Montana. So it was just like the most direct violation of free speech ever. Like, because so this was like, a, well, we're unsure. This was a story hour similar to what Lady Shug described earlier Then you were going to go and read to some children. Uh, no, not at all. Kids were in school. It was like a noon thing. It was pretty oh, okay. good bunch of middle-aged people at noon. But I did do a drag queen story hour two weeks earlier. And, you know, something like that is like a way different vibe it was for the Bozeman Pride. It was on a Saturday. And the kids loved it. I was like dressed like an elf and, you know, make a dumb joke. I'm uh, Anastasia, and I'm also an elf on a bookshelf. Just things like that. And, you know, and the kids had fun, except there's like for 20 minutes there, one twenty neo Nazis screaming like about pedophiles and groomers out the door, and it was like pretty intense. And you know, it's like real when um, and they know who I am too because I'm a journalist and I've written about them, so they know me by name and they try to dox me and everything. And they, uh, yeah, and they're like, okay, if they bust in here, here's an emergency escape route. So, <laughs> gee whiz, so it's kind yeah. of like nerve wracking, okay. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, this I, sounds... I, you hate to admit it, but at the time, you're just like just trying to keep a resolve and try to keep the kids happy and show bravery, like you know. But at the same time, if they bust in there, yeah, they're probably gonna. I don't know. The, this sounds really serious. And, this sounds <laughs> yeah. really serious. I mean, twenty of them neo Nazis. Holy cow! Who wouldn't be terrified? Twenty. Yeah, and then that's the thing. People are like not bringing stuff up like that they're like afraid to do it but it's like if you want to beat these politically it's like what side do you want to be on you want to be on the side of the nazis i mean you're literally if you find yourself in the course of history like Mm -hmm. on the side of nazis you're probably doing it wrong so um maybe (laughs) we think you're um (laughs) maybe we think you're politics you know you know what, Adrian? We've got a caller in Montana right now named Brian listening on KGVA. Hello, Brian. How you guys doing today? We're doing great. What's on your mind? Well, I like, just wanted to point out, at least around the area here and throughout the state, maybe throughout the country, most of the politicians that turned this into an issue, it became a hot-button issue for no apparent reason. I almost guarantee you, Now I don't know this for a fact, I'm not out on the campaign trail with him, but when they were out there campaigning and stumping for votes and getting donations, they never brought this up, not one time. It became an issue. They rallied behind it. Now they can run back to their constituents and say, see, see what I did? I got rid of drag shows. And the other thing about the show, there was a recent one in Montana that was banned and shut down, and it was found out that the greatest force behind that that the ones that are taking credit for making the most fuss about it to get it shut down was a group called White Lives Matter, which are recognized by the Southern Poverty Law Service group as a hate group. So how much sense does any of this make? Well, Brian, uh, let's ask ask that question to Adria. Adria, how much sense does any of this make? Um, Yeah, that's like, I'm actually the one that investigated 
who made these complaints and kind of just because, I mean, it was just kind of a whole whatever anti-fascist um, researchers and stuff said, okay, that name that they said made the complaint, that's actually the alt account of uh, some of them from the leader of the White Lives Matter group. And then, you know, we're just kind of waiting for confirmation and stuff. We just need this. And then, boom, they just took credit for it straight out. They're like, yep, that was us. We shut down this groomer event. And then they're like commenting on some article I wrote about it. You know, we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But um, um, as far as it making sense, it's like, I mean, it's just like a fascist playbook. Like literally, that's when the first people they attacked, like a 19... Right when Hitler took power, like months after, they went after all the LGBTQ people. It's like that massive book burning they had. They went to the some institute of sexology that did a bunch of studies about trans and gay people and stuff, and took all the documents out of there, like twenty thousand of them, and then burned them three days later. And the first person to ever have a transgender uh, re reaffirmation surgery, they disappeared her, and that's just like history people try to cover up so what i'm yeah so it was like really frustrating that they did cancel my event and be which is talking about how two-spirit people slash trans people have been here since time immemorial and um they always want to suppress that knowledge so and they're definitely you know yeah okay they're, Adrian, they're kind of succeeded but ultimately it's giving me a bigger platform i've been on national news and stuff so <laughs> Sure, sure. I want to go back to what the caller Brian mentioned as well. You know, these politicians stumping for votes, as he described it. And as we all know, I mean, some of these politicians, they go whichever way the momentum is, whichever way the wind blows, and they can shift on a dime. So are you hopeful that perhaps this is just a, a weird phase that they're going through? They see there's traction here, but in the next year or two, they could shift on to something else and they'll ease up on some of these laws? Um. Yeah, of course, they've always... Um... I mean, I always saw it coming to this. I mean, just from last legislative session, you could just see how the extremists of the party were no longer extremists, but they were the the main ones, and they were kicking out the moderates, like intimidating them that everyone has to fall in line or else. And this culture warrior stuff became the issue. The party of free speech, one of the, you know, free speech for for me, but not for thee, basically yeah. their motto it seems. But um. But yeah, the extremists took over, like in many other states. So, Tomahawk, you're but, in the um, studio. Yeah, the pendulum swinging back. Montana was always known as like a purple state. We have like a, still have a Democratic senator and stuff. So there's still a bit of hope. But at the same time, we had a supermajority, and um, yeah, we voted heavily red in the last few years. But hopefully, right. uh, yeah, right. people like. I want to go back to, to Tomahawk, who's in the studio, Tomahawk Martini. And Tomahawk, you know, we're, we're talking about this political climate right now and, and these different states and these different laws. I want to ask you, where do you see this all in, in 10 years? What do you think the future of drag performing is in this country? And just the overall tone and just where do you envision the whole transgender population, LGBTQ where are we going to be in 10 years? Is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? Um, I would say that it's going to get better. Um, that's me being optimistic, um, you know, um, being vigilant. And I think drag's still going to be here. I think it's going to be, you know, 
a great platform for people to use their voices to campaign for whatever is that they need. Um, and I think it's just it's just going to get bigger and it's going to be around more often. Um, even okay. just like drag queens in political offices, I see that in the future um, just because of how resilient drag queens are, uh, the LGBT community, the trans people, uh, trans relatives, they're all still thriving, even though, you know, everyone constantly gets knocked down or rights end up getting taken away. I think it just drives our community to stand up more and to be a part of everything. Um, so I'm very optimistic for the future. Let's go back to the phones. We have Regina, who is listening in Oglala, South Dakota, on Keeley. Hello, Regina. Good morning. Okay, Good morning. I have. A, I'm going to start off, and this is my opinion. I like what the just previous caller said. We are going to have a person. What do you call it? trans trans uh, transgender? Because this world is going in that direction where nothing good is happening across the world. And they have the best of two worlds. They understand a lot of things that maybe I don't understand or my son doesn't understand, but they have it. I would say the best of two worlds. And I thought of this for a long time because we had them in our society. They had the society where they tanned the hides. They made the, uh, what do you call it, dresses for weddings. So they were beautiful. They did the quill work. And they were also the, the what do you call it, that uh, stayed at the camp when, just before Little Bighorn and uh, made it look like the women were still in camp hauling water and so forth. And they were also warriors. Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to insert us uh, into the conversation because I've been listening. It's been a while since I listened to Native America calling back on. So I just thought I'd put that in there. So I support the Transgender Society. Regina, I'm really glad you called in today. And I don't think I've ever heard you call in as long as I've been host. I'm just so happy that you're listening. And what a great call. What a great take. And I, I want to go back to Tomahawk. And Tomahawk, Regina just said that, that she feels two spirit people have the best of, of two worlds. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Um, especially in my family growing up, it was... Um, amazing to be a part of everything, um, especially with my grandparents when they would do ceremony practices. Um, you know, it was either male or female, but um, I was lucky enough to just be able to take on any role and partake in any place or thing that I was needed. So I, I do think that it is the best of, uh, what I say, the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And Lady Shug, back to you. Are you optimistic uh, for the future of two-spirit indigenous people in this country? Yes, of course. We have to give some kind of hope, but then also we still have to be keep our keep our our fists up. Um, and it, there's a possibility it might go left. Um, and so we just got to come together as community. We got to continue to hold space. Um, and drag is for everyone. And it doesn't matter, even the ones that are in politics or tribal members, um, there's, there's, it's, it's a big form in, in mainstream media. Everybody sees it. Everybody's exposed to it. 
Um, I think we just need to continue to uh, uplift each other as relatives, especially during this Pride season. We call Pride season or Pride month. Um, I challenge all of the listeners to make sure you include your indigenous drag artists, trans folks, two-spirit folks, um, and hold space for them. And even make all those Pride organizers say, hey, we should have um, some drag queens that are indigenous come to our Pride this year. So I think once we do that and continue to hold space, um, let's let's not let this take over. <laughs> okay. And Lady Shug, what would be the best way for listeners to learn more about the Two-Spirit community and drag performances and, and get involved, like you suggest? Um, there's many non—I mean, we, we're in the world of the Internet. Look up on the Internet, and there's many nonprofits. But then also there's grassroots organizing, and there's also your community members. Um, and your local pride organizations, um, it just, uh, everywhere there's a queer, trans, two-spirit person existence, on the res, off the res, um, go out and talk to them, hear a story, um, get their strength and, and their power from their knowledge. And I think, it, make an effort, don't just complain, put your foot forward, speak out for somebody, um, and go take your kids to Drag Queen Story Hour, it's super fun. <laughs> Okay. Adria, we're going to have to wrap up the show in about 45 seconds, but I'm going to give you the last word. Anything you'd like to add to our conversation before we wrap up? Um, yeah. I mean, I do see hope and um, Gen Z, the, the Zoomers. They're a lot more um, progressive about these issues. And um, that's why the conservatives are really trying their – this is like their one of their last uh, – stands, whatever. And they know a lot of these bills are performative and stuff. And uh, it's like, they know they're probably not going to pass in court on the first challenges. So it's like that one, the one that thing that really gives me hope is the bill in Tennessee was just overturned, like really harshly too, like permanently enjoyed. So, um, and uh, I'm guessing the what I just went through right now, that was like a direct violation of my free speech and stuff. So I'm guessing, I mean, lawyers have been trying to contact me, so we'll see about that if I, you know, able to sue. But definitely they're going to include that in the legislation to overturn this uh, attack on free speech and art. So, and that's the thing that uh, people have to realize. This is an art form. Um you can't really censor it. And, and for, as far as drag queen story hours and stuff, it's like, okay, Chris Rock does like a adult comedy and stuff, but the next day he does a Shrek voices. So it's not like <laughs> there, we know differences and stuff. Of, We're going to have know. to wrap it up. I'm sorry, Adria, but we are out of time. But before we go, thank you to Lady Shug, Auntie Sage Chanel, Adria Jawart, and of course, Tomahawk Martini for joining us today. Hope you'll all tune in to Native America Calling again tomorrow for a conversation with Native women in the finance industry. Until then, have a great rest of your day. Education sovereignty. It begins with us. That's the theme of the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show to be held in Albuquerque October 18th through the 21st. You have an important role to play in the ongoing effort to reclaim education sovereignty. The agenda includes an educator day, a student day, professional learning opportunities, and the NIEA awards ceremony. Early bird registration ends July 18th at NIEA.org who support this show. 
Support by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.